0: Bottom line in business. Voice America business.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is a uh, journalist from CBS News. Her name is uh, Stacey Tisdale. Uh, her new book is called The True Cost of Happiness. The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. Welcome to the show, Stacey.
2: Thank you so much. I'm
0: glad to be here. Sure. Uh, Let's kind of get the overall view of the book first before we go into some of the specifics. Why did you do this book and what are you trying to accomplish with it?
2: Trying to accomplish many things, mainly raising financial literacy all over and getting people to use the money that they have, no matter what it is, to support a lifestyle that makes them really happy. What happened was I worked on Wall Street as a cash manager for many years around people who made a lot of money. And I was always struck by how they were always talking about where they'd rather be. If I had more money, I could be where I would be happy. If I had more money, I'd be a better parent. If I had more money, I could travel. Rolled the tape forward on a financial journalist talking to people from all different backgrounds, and they were saying the exact same things. So clearly more money was not the answer. So I looked into... What was really behind our financial behavior and what this book does is show you how to use your financial resources, whatever they are, to support a lifestyle that makes you happy.
0: So what do you think most people's situation is today? They're making a decent amount of money but it's not allocated correctly? or. They don't have enough time to do what they want. What is the problem? Why are people not happy? Uh,
2: We don't spend a lot of time thinking about what our ideal lifestyle really looks like, let alone creating a plan to get us there. Ask people, what do you really want? I want to spend more time with my family. I want to be happy. Very short on specifics, and they don't have a plan. In addition, there are some tremendous influences out there that derail us from what would make us truly happy. There are... You know, all different kinds of pressures that really knock us off course, and we kind of blindly follow these messages.
0: So let's start off. Uh, in your, your first chapter is called Working Together, and uh, you talk about the big three uh, influences about uh, making choices and how you make and spend money. Tell us a little bit about those big three.
2: Yeah, what I've found in uh, the years and years that I researched these projects that the first lessons we learned about money growing up Social messages, things like keeping up. You know, if we don't have the same things that our neighbors have, if we don't give our kids the same things, that, you know, we're not good parents and we're not good people. Social messages also about gender. Women are supposed to behave a certain way with money. Men are supposed to take control. And there's also social messages about ethnicity and race. And we see how, for example, social stereotypes that minorities are a bad financial risk have played out in reality, you know, these financial services companies targeted them for these subprime mortgages. Mm-hmm. And the third big influence is how we perceive ourselves, you know, a one day I'll have a great payoff, that's a great excuse for debtors, I'm a bad investor, planning monies for other people. We have these little internal messages that we tell ourselves and all of these play out in our behavior.
0: So, uh, how do people get these messages in the first place? Is it from your parents or societally wide? How do we get get into these things in the first place? Uh, let
2: me give you an example of how uh, family messages, which is the first, the one I address in the book, because these impressions run really deep. My parents, for example, grew up poor black in the South. They had to decide on some level that a lack of money was not going to be an obstacle to the things that they really wanted to accomplish in life. So that's what I saw growing up. You know, these people not letting a lack of money be an obstacle. And I took that message right in the credit card debt. You know, I wasn't going to let not having money keep me from the experiences I thought I should have. So what I did was I took a lesson that was good and let it turn into something bad. But once I became aware of what I was really doing, I had that aha moment, and I was able to start making different choices, and I've been debt-free ever since. My husband, on the other hand, he falls into the same category as a lot of baby boomers right now. They're raised by parents who grew up during the Great Depression. So there was always a lot of scarcity and fear around money. So, you know, save, 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 save. And we see that playing out in, you know, his adult behavior and a lot of people in his generation. Money was never seen as really something that they could use to make themselves happy. It was something that had to be hoarded. The idea that you could work in careers that brought you happiness wasn't the priority. The priority was, you know, making money. So you have to look at how are these influences playing out in my behavior and is really serving my best interest.
0: So when you have a couple like that, is that a good or a bad combination where you have people who are kind of you know in, in the spending mode and in the saving mode, I guess, is it good to have a balance, or is it better to have two of one side or the other?
2: Well, we, ironically, we tend to marry our opposite when it comes to finances, which is a whole uh, different ball of wax. But the most important things for couples is to realize where each other's coming from. There, as, as you'll see in the book. There's a lot of things that work behind our decisions about making and spending money. And just because, say, mine might be different from my husband's doesn't mean that his are right and mine are wrong. He has to understand, based on my experiences, I have certain beliefs. Based, I have to understand, based on his experiences, he has certain beliefs. We have to accept those about each other. Still come up with some goals that we want to accomplish together. Maybe, you know, retire. where do we want to live in retirement? How do we want to play for our child's education? What are some of the, you know, material things we want to experience? Come up with those goals and then create a plan accordingly and kind of step away from those messages that don't serve us.
0: In the second chapter, uh, and again, this is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is uh, Stacey Tisdale, who's a financial reporter at CBS News. Uh, author of a new book called The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. You talk about awareness uh, being the first step in really being able to take c- control of your finances successfully. Tell me a little about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, you have to really see what it is that you're doing. For example, I, you know, I mentioned I didn't realize how those lessons I learned from my parents were playing out in my behavior. I had to see that. Uh, very interesting story. I write about a woman who she was a lawyer and her husband was an artist and they had a very difficult time talking about money so they went to one of these financial life planners that I write about and the first thing a planner makes you do is disclose your income now they both knew that she made more money than her husband but they had no idea how much more he sees her actual income and he goes ballistic he feels cheated on he feels lied to you know why wasn't she honest to him about honest with him about her money so the planner is literally holding them apart then she starts asking this woman about her relationship with money, and it turns out this woman's father was abusive to her mother when her mother would spend money. So the mother began to hide money. I mean, I you know a lot of people out there do this, to hide money from their spouses, but the mother did it in such an extreme way, she incorporated her daughter's help when it came to things like hide purchases. The very first message this woman got about money was to hide it. She had no idea that this was at work in her adult behavior and affecting her relationship with her husband. Once she became aware of that influence, the, the, the feelings aren't going to go away, but once you can become aware, you can kind of make space around it and give yourself other options. Oh, this isn't really how I want to be with my husband, so I'm going to step away from that message, but you have to really be aware that that's what's pulling your strings.
0: Uh, now, how do you do that? How do you become aware? Do, can you do it on your own, or do you need a, a therapist or a financial therapist of some kind to get this out? Get this out of you. Read the book. <laughs> okay.
2: So there's um, I give people a, the very first thing we do is we do an uh an exercise that helps people see their ideal life. And what I do is they're called the Kinder questions. George Kinder, a great life planner ask these clients these three questions. First, if you had all the money you would ever need, how would you spend your time? This helps you see some of the disconnects between how you're actually spending your time now and how you'd like to spend it. The second, if you found out you just had five years to live, how would you change your life? And This cuts even deeper and helps you see your ideal life without the material trappings. And the final is if you found out your life would be over tomorrow, What are your regrets? And this really shows you what you're not doing that is important to you, and this really helps you unveil the things that you could do to make yourself truly happy. So, you know, working with exercises like these, you'll get a clearer picture of what you really want. Then part two is we have to look at those obstacles. And I give people a series of questions and exercises that show them how those early lessons that you learned growing up are p- affecting your adult belief system and your adult behavior, how those social messages are affecting you, and how the ways in which you perceive your own abilities when it comes to money are affecting you. And once you have all of these things in your awareness, you can make different choices and you can see, oh, you know, the social expectation in my neighborhood that, you know, everyone's going to drive a certain kind of SUV is really costing me $800 a month. If I downsized to something that was more in line with what I could afford for $400 a month, that would be an extra $400 I had to put towards my real goal of starting a business. You can see how these messages are actually playing out in your numbers, and then Paula Boyer-Kennedy, who writes the numbers part of the book, shows you how to make those financial adjustments in your financial choices.
0: One of the things you're talking about have been throughout the book, Stacey, is uh, life planners. Uh, This is something that people might not be... That's familiar with how is a life planner different from a financial planner and, and you know are there some good ones how do you find them tell us a little bit about life planning
2: A financial planner is going to look at the number side of the equation for example a survey from a you know large financial firm that I'm looking at asks people you know how much money do you want to have in 5 years how much money do you want to have in 10 years A life planner works on the acknowledgment that there are beliefs and behaviors that are behind our choices about making and spending money. And those are what needs, need to be examined if you're going to truly change your behavior. For example, telling someone to stop spending without looking at why they're doing it in the first place is like telling someone to stop overeating without looking at why they're doing it. They might be able to change their behavior for a time, but eventually those old reasons are going to regain control of their actions.
0: So you're saying once you understand the reasons, then you can actually change the behavior?
2: Yeah, um once you understand the reasons, you have a, you have more options. It's kind of like you reach a point of no return. Once you realize what you're really doing and how that's different from what you want to be doing, you almost can't go back.
0: Mm-hmm. You and talk also about setting goals. That's an important thing that a life planner would help you do as well, Yeah, you've right?
2: got to know what you're planning for.
0: So what are some of the areas and personal goals that people tend not to plan for?
2: Uh, a lot of times they don't plan for retirement. They are really, I mean, a clear picture of this is how I want to live and retire. A lot of times we need to adjust the yeah. investing, estate planning. I mean, we look at every aspect of someone's financial life and get it in line with what they really value.
0: Okay, we'll get into that in more detail after the break. Uh, this, again, is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is Stacy Tisdale, who's written a new book called The True Cost of Happiness. We'll be back after this.
1: The Bauer Power Hour will focus on ways to improve a company's marketing message. Some of the sharpest minds in marketing will be featured on the show, so listeners will get free advice from folks that normally have to pay hundreds or even thousands of dollars per hour to access. Listen live every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, that's 2 p.m. on the East Coast, to the Bauer Power Hour with host Roger Bauer on the Voice America Business Channel. Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The winner's attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The winner's attitude. Switch me on. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
0: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Stacy Tisdale, who's an author and also a financial reporter at CBS News, who's written a new book called The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. Welcome back to the show, Stacy. Thank you. You talk about the price of pleasing uh, mom and pop. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how important an influence that is in people's financial behavior.
2: These impressions run really deep, those early lessons that we learn. In fact, they are the very standard by which we hold everything. There's a lot of baby boomers out there right now who were raised by parents who grew up during the Great Depression. So they were getting messages during their entire upbringing about scarcity when it comes to do with money there's a lot of fear around money money wasn't talked about in their households. money not talked about in front of children so the question is how is this playing out in your adult behavior and what do you really think of it and a lot of households out there men make the big financial decisions and when you look at you know adults today women are contributing a great deal more to the income side but that man managed the money message is still alive and well in their home. When you consider the fact that I think it's something like 40% of all the women out there are going to be widowed, they have to take time out from work because they have to do child care and elder care, so they don't have enough as much in retirement savings, they really can't afford to not have control of their finances. But those early messages, what they saw growing up, that's just how they think things should be. So it's a matter of reexamining those lessons and distancing yourself from those that don't serve you. You know, think about the era that your parents or your primary caregivers grew up in. Does that really serve you well today? And it's about really taking an honest look at how those messages are playing out in your behavior.
0: One of the techniques you use in the book is to have people kind of take a guide to kind of change their behavior here. Uh, You use John's story as a guide where you actually fill in your own
2: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, situation. Tell us how that works a little bit.
2: (laughs) I'm a journalist, and I'm a TV journalist, so I'm used to putting together uh, TV stories. So I thought a good way for people to keep track of you know, how these different areas that we looked at are really playing out in their behavior would be kind of to put together their own story. So what we do in the book is you go through a series of questions for the particular issue that we're looking at. For example, if we're going to look at how those early lessons are affecting your adult behavior you go through a series of questions that you think about your primary caregiver or your parents' upbringing. You go through a series of questions where you think about how that's affecting you now, other impressions that you might have learned as a child, and then we take that information and we put together a a little story about you. This is is a fun exercise and a very eye-opening exercise. What this really is is a point of reference for for part two in the book, and part two, Paula Boyer-Kennedy, who's a financial planner, Worth Magazine's named her one of the best planners in America, three years. And she shows you what to actually do with your numbers, how to create a plan. But you want to be aware of these influences first, and the, your stories, their point of reference. So when she says, okay, how we're going to look at how your family influences are actually affecting your spending, and then we're going to readjust your spending. You have these little things just to refer back to. So it's really a point of reference so that we can use them when we actually make the adjustments to your numbers.
0: Very good. One of the things you talk about is the songs we play in our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the songs we play in our heads, and, and are we supposed to get those songs out of our heads, or how are we supposed to deal with them?
2: I uh, turn down the volumes. I think a better <laughs> <laughs> analogy. In the book, I discuss a woman that I know who, um, anytime any financial situation comes up, she just has this mantra: "What do they think I'm an idiot?" You know, her daughter wants to borrow money. What does she think I'm an idiot? The grocery store boy gives her the wrong change. What does he think I'm an idiot? Her financial advisor wants her to invest more. What does he think I'm an idiot? It's like somebody pushed a play button. So what she does is she brings this skepticism and this doubt to all of her financial decisions. She treats people with this mistrust. So she kind of so is a kind of you reap what you sow. This is what she gets back. If she could re- kind of rewrite that message and tell herself I'm a smart woman and no one could take advantage of me. If that was her habitual song, she might have different attitudes and behaviors treat people differently consequently have different experiences very popular songs with money is i'll be happy when i have more money investing is for rich people money's not important and these it's like we're verbally giving ourselves permission with these little, you know that little inner critic that little inner voice in our head is basically telling us what to do and we actually act on these messages Chances are they come from some deep experiences or some deep impressions to say, oh, now that I see this, it's just going to go away. Is not realistic? What you can do is saying, okay, what happens if I really listen to this? How is this going to play out? Is this message really true? Kind of put them through a reality check. And that will allow you to kind of turn down the volume a bit, I prefer to say, rather than make them disappear, because they're they're deeply imprinted in you. They're not going to go away. The goal of this book is to show you how to live with them and to make different choices anyway.
0: You talk about your top ten hits uh, as far as the songs we're playing in our heads. Maybe you can briefly go over uh, what those top ten hits are.
2: Um, there's, let me see if I can remember them in this order. There's. Um,
0: Page fifty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> if you have it.
2: <laughs> as I pull out the book, just um, for example, money's not important. Uh, one day I'll have a big payoff. It's a man's job to manage the money. I deserve this. That's a great reason for people People used to go into credit card debt. Investing is for the rich. I'll save more money when I get more. I'll give to charities one day when I'm rich. These are like little habitual, very popular mantras people tell themselves when it comes to money. And if you put these through a reality check, they're not necessarily true. We all know money doesn't buy happiness. So why are you acting on that message and acting like it does? So, you know, Why are you saying that happiness is something that you have to wait for down the road till you have more money? There's a popular, I'll be a better parent when I have more money. Is that really how you want your child to experience you, or is that really a realistic message? It's basically take, identifying what these messages are, and I give you exercises. Like when you think about saving, what comes up? You think about investing, what comes up? Identifying what those are and putting them through a reality check, and then really identifying what they're costing you. Literally,
0: A lot of these things are you're thinking about the future uh, when you're in the present and you're kind of constantly waiting for something to happen to make it better in the future. Is that kind of the the common theme amongst all these different hit songs in your head? A lot
2: of, um, yeah, a lot, they're all different. I mean, a lot of people, like there's a very common theme, rich people are bad. You hear a lot of people who are struggling with money kind of tell themselves that, giving themselves... You no know, permission not to pursue the kind of wealth that they would want to. A lot of them are just you know commonalities and different things that we'll hear, but a lot of not just with financial issues a lot of us spend our time feeling thinking about the future and you know versus living in the present. And the point is that you can have a life that makes you happy now. All you have to do is stop putting time and money into and things that aren't making you really happy. So you do that by going through a process of identifying the lifestyle that would make you happy absent all these outside influences we've been talking about and then adjusting your numbers to support that lifestyle, not to support this message that's in your head, not to support this social script about how women are supposed to defer the big financial decisions to men, not to support this social script that oh, I have my kid has to have the latest, you know, game, technology, you know, device, or I'm not a good parent, those messages cost us money. So it's kind of stepping away and looking at what makes you really happy.
0: The next chapter, Chapter 7, talks about life planning for two, and you talk about uh, the kind of communication between a couple, uh, is it fact or myth, and how you can improve that communication. Maybe uh, go into that a little bit more.
2: Yes. Uh, I think one (laughs) of the important things that people have to realize is that men and women have very very different attitudes when it comes to money. Men are, you know, socialized to think that they should be a provide, you know, the providers. A lot of women out there, is, I mean, it's hard to say, but they look at how a man's providing for them financially to determine how much he cares about them. I mean, a lot of there's still an expectation among a lot of women that I know that they go out on a date that the man will pick up the check and different things like that. And these are just. You know, not bad people. It's just different messages that we've been kind of programmed to work off of. So understanding that men and women come from two different places. We talked about all of the things that influence our own beliefs and attitudes about money, those early lessons, the social messages, the way we perceive ourselves. So it's really seeing how those are playing in the individual and understanding that. There's no right or wrong. You see, this person has this belief based on their experience. So you really have to understand where each other's coming from, so that you can come up with a realistic plan. Like I'm not going to ask, you know, I was telling you how my husband was raised by depression-era parents and is, you know, really, really, you know, save, save, save. I'm not going to ask him to go on, a, you know, and spend and take an incredible financial risk because that's just not who he is. I might take more risk because of who I am with finances, but it's just understanding where each other's coming from.
0: Yeah. One of the things you say is you should have a monthly uh, financial meeting to kind of iron these things out. I guess a lot of times time just goes on and these issues don't really get discussed. Is that you're saying the solution for that problem?
2: They don't not only necessarily get discussed, <coughs> as most of our discussions around money tend to happen um, when there's an, when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's why most people talk about money at the beginning or the end of the month when it's bill-paying time. Emotions are high. It's just... Never ever have your monthly money talk this <laughs> when it's bill paying time. Set up a time and make it talking about your goals, how you can use your finances to support what each of you want to do and what you want to do as a couple. Make it about you know, what you think you could do better, what you think you could do differently. You want to make it a pleasant experience because it, you know if you are constantly fighting about money, you're not going to resolve anything.
0: You say that money is often used as a weapon between couples as well. Is that right?
2: Oh yeah. Sport. Oh definitely. A lot of uh, <laughs> the people that I uh, were interviewed for this book, a lot of times, especially the women, were in a situation where the man controlled money, and this is you know these patterns go back for a long ways. They they were also subjected to this when they were growing up. There was a lot of resentment and bitterness, so they would spend as kind of a punishment. They would, you know, be irresponsible with things like credit card debt, kind of to get back at their spouse who they were mad about because of all of these, you know, other control issues. A lot of men, on the other hand, would withhold money from their spouses also. People really use it as a weapon, but you have to bring the same integrity to your finances as a couple that you bring to other parts of your marriage, like fidelity. You have to bring that same respect to your financial choices because your financial choices represent what you really value.
0: Very right, good. Okay, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Stacey Tisdale, who's a financial reporter at CBS News, uh, who's written a new book called The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. And we'll be back after this. your job heavenly or closer to hell on earth
1: maybe it's time you stop waiting on employers to make you satisfied and learn how to recognize your own career contentment jeff garden and his expert guests show you how every thursday at 12 noon pacific when you tune in to career contentment radio on the voice america business radio network contentment is yours to control and easier to achieve than happiness or
0: satisfaction
1: Succeeding in your business isn't just about making a living, it's a way of life. Hosts Cliff Innenko and Susan Wilson-Solovic discuss the practical as well as the not-so-practical aspects of owning your own business. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Succeeding in Your Business, right here on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: From market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
0: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Stacy Tisdale, who is a financial reporter at CBS News and also the author of a new book called The True Cost of Happiness, the Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. Welcome back to the show, Stacey.
2: Thank you so much, George.
0: Before we get back into it, uh, just tell us briefly about the uh, website and how people can uh, find uh, more about this book.
2: Yes, we have, our website is up and running now. Go to truecostofhappiness.com. There's a blog on it where we talk about some of these financial issues and look at them through this life planning, mindful money management lens. And uh, you can also purchase the book there. And it's also available in um, major bookstores now as well.
0: Very good. Okay, uh, your eighth chapter is on teaching your kids uh, about money. Um, What is your sense of the the state of financial literacy and how people are teaching their kids about money these days?
2: I'm actually talking to members of Congress about this. The fact that basic financial management is not taught in schools is turning into a crisis. You see that uh, kids are graduating from college now, $20,000 in credit card debt because the financial services industry Targets these weaknesses, and they count on this financial illiteracy, and they go in, and they are just, you know, eating these kids up literally, and they're just coming out of school in such a bad place. And we, you know, have talked a lot about our role modeling when we were children. Most people that were always taught not to talk about money in front of their kids. So where were we going to learn about money? The bottom line is, we simply didn't. Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of that happening now. You know, to our children, and nobody can afford it anymore. People are living too long. There's not enough money there. Financial literacy has to be raised in this country. Otherwise, we are going to hit a crisis.
0: So tell us about some of the techniques that you recommend in the book to help uh, teach your kids about money in a good way.
2: Well, the three things that consistently come up are example, experience, and communication, and all of my research about teaching kids about money kids are going to develop their deepest impressions by what their parents and primary caregivers do. The old do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do theory simply doesn't cut it when it comes to teaching children lessons about money. And this is, I think, one of the greatest motivators for adults to get their financial house in order. Your kids are going to be watching what you do, and that's where their sense of right and wrong is going to come from. That means you have to have your own financial house in order. You have to identify the lifestyle you want You have to identify these influences that we've been discussing that can knock you off course, and how you deal with them is going to be the message that your children pick up. So parents really have to get on the same page and come up with their own goals and realize how they set out to achieve those goals is where their children are going to learn about their values, and that's what they want to really express. Also, experience. Parents have to give kids real-life experiences on dealing with money. As we were just discussing, they're not learning these things in schools for the most part right now. And communication if you want to tell your child don't spend more than you make you have to tell them why you think that's important you have to help them understand where these things are coming from and that's how they build their own value system
0: I think in the book you also give some people resources uh, if they want to act on these things are there some specific things in the uh, financial literacy area that you would recommend
2: sure Um, I actually have a guide in the book that Two phenomenal financial planners who specialize in this area, Joan DeFuria and Dr. Stephen Goldbart of the Money, Meaning, and Choices Institute, created with me for just this, this book. And for example, if your kid, a lot of people ask me, you know, when should I start? And you have to know your own child, but generally, you know, four, four years old is a pretty good place to start. Between four and eight, what would you be doing them? Having them do things like start a penny jar. Make it a glass or a plastic bottle so they can actually see what they're saving and see when that container is full. Have them start to count coins. Give your child experiences that involve making change. You know, and as a family, do some terrible, charitable activity, like take your children with you to drop off clothes, you know, food, gifts like that. When your child's, you know, between 9 and 12 years old, you want to make them aware of the cost of things, make them aware of the value of, of a dollar, you know, taking them to the grocery store with a certain amount of money, keeping tabs on what you're spending. And you want to give them little tasks around the house that allow them to earn money, talk about the idea of saving for a rainy day, chart the money that your children earn. And, you know, we're big on charitable giving in this book and how that's a great way to teach ourselves and our children about so many different things. But have them go regularly. To their closet and choose clothes that they've outgrown and don't use and give them to children in need. That's a great way to start instilling that. 13 to 15, you know, you really put the family bills on the kitchen table and show your kid what they're all about, this teenager of yours right now. Have them read and understand their bank statements. Let them live with the consequences of their own financial choices. For example, if they have a $15 a week allowance, and they blow it all, but still come to you and say, hey, I need $30 to go towards this pair of shoes that I want. No, you're the parent. You have to parent and make them live with the consequences of that choices. And by the time they're 16 to 18, you want to have an annual budget for them. You want to review it quarterly. Again, I talk about the importance of these family meetings uh, when it comes to money, and you say, how am I going to get my teenager to a family meeting? You would be surprised how willing they are when it comes to their money, (laughs) especially, uh, you know, the money that you're going to give them to spend. But, you know, identify charities they want to give to, identify spending goals, you know, help them identify how they can use the money to achieve it. You really just want to start instilling these things. I think a great tool out there is there's companies like oneshareofstock.com where you can invest very, very small amounts of money and then start to teach your children about the markets and investing. But it's up to you to create your child's financial education because again they're not doing this in school, so that old don't talk about money in front of your children, that's just it doesn't serve any purpose anymore.
0: So a lot of people who are not doing this basically take care of all the financial decisions for their kids. They go off to college they don't know how to write a check. They don't have a clue, and then they kind of thrown off the ship <laughs> right at once. So that's and the typically. financial
2: services industry is counting on you. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I mean, I'm just I've been doing a lot of stories about <laughs> coming out of college. with This incredible amount of credit card debt, and this is on top of their student loans.
0: Yeah. Before and they've even gotten see, their first job. <laughs>
2: yeah. When you see now we're what kids now they're going to be saving. I'm you know, planning retirement for a 100-year lifespan. You can imagine what your you know, annual savings target should be. Now, where does that leave you if you're already starting the game with that much debt?
0: It's very typical today because people haven't saved enough going into college in the first place, so they've got to borrow their way through it. Exactly. And then they, it makes it hard to get started when you've already got a big burden before you even got your first it's job. It's very sad. Yeah. Uh, okay, your next uh, chapter is about change uh, and the truth about change. This is kind of the psychological change you need to make to be able to actually reach your goals why don't you talk about some of that a little bit
2: what i wanted to do is i didn't want to write a book that told people what to do without showing them how to do it and i you know as a financial journalist i've researched and reported on just about every kind of financial plan out there and what i noticed about a lot of financial books and a lot of self-help books is they tell you what to do but they don't kind of hold, help you get through the process of actually changing your behavior When it comes to money, most of us know the answer. Don't spend more than you make. But there's still something that prevents us from acting on that. It's like making a New Year's resolution on a Sunday, breaking it by Wednesday. I wanted to look at what happens on Monday and Tuesday. So I came across the work of Dr. James Prochaska. And he's a very, very well-known psychiatrist who actually studied change. For years, he studied what he calls successful self-changers. And those are people change their behavior without the um, help of a psychologist or a therapist, not that those are bad things at all, and they can actually be great helps on the change process, but what he identified was successful self-changers went through the definitive stages, and they used definitive techniques to change their behavior, and the key is applying the right technique at the right time. Especially in the West, we seem to think successfully changing your behavior is you know, you either did it or you didn't But there's a lot that goes on between action and inaction and that's the space where you have to stand
0: very good, okay, Uh, we're going to get into this more after the break, Uh, this again is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show and my guest this hour is Stacy Tisdale who's written a new book called The True Cost of Happiness, the real story behind managing your money Uh, her website is truecostofhappiness.com where you can find out more about the book we'll be back after this
1: No matter what your business is, your company's employees are your most valuable assets. Corporate mentoring cultivates and strengthens your employees' skills and talents so that everyone benefits. Tune in every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern to Mentoring Matters. Mentoring in today's business world with hosts Rainey Petrin and Dave Carson and discover what a mentoring program can do for you and your company.
0: Link up with Chris Curtis on Webwise Business and discover the millionaire in you. It's
2: One, two,
0: three. If it's the web you want, it's the web we've got. And it's the Sheik Geek bringing it to you live. Tune in to Webwise Business every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Get your click on. Get your click on. With the Sheik Geek. Mine in business. Voice America business.
1: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
0: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Stacy Tisdale, a financial reporter at CBS News and also the author of a new book, Uh, The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. Welcome back to the show, Stacey. Thank you. Um, The last half of the book is what you call the numbers, and you kind of help people apply uh, in the financial areas what we've been talking about psychologically. So let's go through briefly some of these uh, particular areas. The first one is what you call your bottom line, uh, and this is basically doing uh, a budget, uh, what you spend and what you bring in. Why don't you talk about how you should do a budget in light of the things we're talking about psychologically?
2: Right. Um, It's like a bad word, the B word, because people don't like to stick to budgets. They don't like the word budget. But you really need to see where your money is going, you know, see your income right up there. But what's different about the way that we work with the budget in this book is you've just spent, by the time you get to this point, you've spent a lot of energy figuring out what are some of the influences that are kind of knocking you off course, figuring out where you are in the change process. Maybe you're not ready yet to cut up all your credit cards, but maybe you can pay an extra $10 a month on them or something, figuring out where you are there. You need to be looking at those things right next to your numbers. So, for example, when we're having you chart your spending, you'll also have a place to put, you know, is there a family script at work here? Is there a social pressure at work here? Is there some of this internal messages I'm telling myself in my head at work here? Right there. So, for example, uh... Say John Q. Public is feels like he's under a lot of pressure to buy his daughter a new wardrobe every month. So he's spending $500 a month on his daughter's wardrobe. So you'd put that right there with the expenditure. This is a lot of social scripting. So he'd note that next to it. And then he can make an adjustment and say, okay, now I'm just going to spend $200 a month on that. So now he has an extra $300 to go towards his actual goals. And that's just an example, but we have people go through their swin- spending and identify spending that's not in line with what their real priorities are, and then we do that with each aspect of your financial life.
0: The next aspect you talk about is saving uh, money. What are some of the psychological impacts or or reasons why people don't save and how can you overcome that?
2: Oh, a lot of people think of saving as something that they'll do when they get a certain amount of money, not realizing that savings ensures... I think of a savings account more as insurance. It insures the lifestyle that you want. What happens if an emergency comes along? What happens if you have a loss of a job or anything? Nothing could derail a financial plan or derail you from your goals more than not having money saved. So the whole point is to get people to think of savings and what a savings account is what it really is. It's an insurance account. And to not take it lightly, savings is usually the first thing that we skimp from.
0: Yeah. And, and when you
2: look at it in the context of your overall life plan, you see how important it really is. So it's kind of changing people's attitudes about saving, not thinking it as something that you have to deprive yourself to do, but to really think of it by, as something that gets you closer to the lifestyle that you really want.
0: And as a country, we don't save very much. We have an awful or lot of We have of a debt. negative
2: savings rate.
0: <laughs> That's right. And so it's just not a habit that this generation, I think in many cases this generation, was brought up with prosperity and said you know when i say for a rainy day there'll never be a rainy day
2: well plus we're caught up on you know all these treadmills of you know Lynn twist has these great three myths of scarcity and one is we're told that there's not enough to go around so people are just you know constantly working and working trying to consume 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 that, that, that attitude and that mentality doesn't leave room for saving money yeah. and you know we're all victims to a lot of these pressures and there's just not savings not in the equation
0: and then you have uh, 20 savings tips. We won't have time for them now, but all the different ways of saving money and not spending... Uh, all these little things do add up over time, is what you're saying, basically.
2: Yeah, they absolutely do. You know, um, a great way that I save money, I lived in Manhattan for many years, and I just took taxis everywhere. And when I started looking at what I was actually spending on taxis, it just walking or taking the subway more, all of a sudden I had, you know, extra money. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> Okay, the next uh, chapter you're talking about is debt and how to wipe the, the slate clean on debt. Uh, talk about how your ideal relationship with debt uh, should be done.
2: Well, credit anyone who's holding on to credit card debt, you're already out of alignment. I mean, it's just you're just going to become a slave to it. You have to look at why you took on the debt in the first place and why. You know, we all, everyone knows the credit card debt's bad. That's why it goes back to examining those messages. What was really prompting me to take this on was it a belief that i deserve something that i can't really afford was it a belief that okay one day i'm going to have the job of my dreams and be able to pay off all my credit card debt is it keeping up with the joneses the thing about credit card debt is how am i going to keep it from getting bigger that's where you have to start and to do that you have to examine what was really behind your debting in the first place and then you have to take an honest look at what it's really costing you if you keep down this path you're not going to have money for the things that you think are really important in life later. And and right now. So it's a matter of reallocating your budget and your spending so that you can pay off more of this debt. And when you start thinking it stop think again with the depravity like we were talking about with saving money. It's not, oh no, I have to deprive myself of this because I have to, you know, pay off this credit card debt. Start seeing it as it's actually getting you closer to the lifestyle that you really want getting rid of that credit card debt and we give you tips on how to do things like negotiate with your creditors and really how to take baby steps before you're ready to take that big plunge and pay it all off because you know credit card debt it's really a spending problem and it has to be treated as such
0: you then talk about the new retirement and how we have to plan to live longer and stronger I guess a lot of people are unrealistic they think they're going to die at 65 or 70 and then they've got another 20 years to finance that's going to be a a common problem with a lot of the baby boomers probably, you agree?
2: Yeah, some baby boomers might actually spend more time in retirement than they spent working. Yeah. And they're just caught up in these unbelievable financial demands. You know, a lot of us still a lot of people still support help support their children in some way or another, or their grandchildren, they're also supporting their parents. Their parents are living longer, so they're kind of caught in the sandwich generation. That means it's more important than ever to really be clear on what you want and out of retirement people are living in long, longer and stronger lives. So the, you know, sitting back on a deck, playing shuffleboard, that's not a lot of our ideal retirement anymore. Yep. A lot of people are starting new careers. A lot of people want to travel. So maybe, for example, if my goal is to go to Australia, me having two homes might not be the best use of my financial resources. You know, why do I have two houses and two cars if that's not? moving me closer to what I really want. So it's a matter of starting to look at, you know, what your ideal retirement looks like. And Paula in this section actually gives you a chart that you can look at what your ideal retirement week looks like. You know, if she has, you know, walk Spanish class, errands, you know, really figuring out what you want to do with your time and then figuring out the money you're going to need to do that. And it's very well charted out how you can actually take the steps to, adjust the rest of your finances to get you closer to this goal. And for a lot of people, it's not about saving more for retirement. It's reallocating the resources that they have to get them in sync with what's really important.
0: You have a chapter towards the back of the book called Giving Back, and also you might mention a little bit about what happens to the proceeds of the, the book. But on the giving back, why is that so psychologically important?
2: It was interesting. In uh, all my research, when I talked about talked to people about what they'd ideally like to be doing with their money, you know, if they had their ideal financial life. A lot of them wanted to do more for charity. A lot of them wanted to do you know, more for the environment. In this post-Enron world, you know, just giving money without knowing that it's in line with what we value, it's just not acceptable to the public anymore. There's been a real shift in the public's attitude. They want to know that the companies that they invest in have a social conscience, that they're not doing bad things to the environment, that they're not using child labor. People really do feel a sense of responsibility for helping you know, people who are worse off than they are, but they t- tend to think of it as something that rich people will do or something that they would be able to do later in life. Giving of yourself can mean giving time just as much as it means giving money. Most charitable donations are tax deductible. You can do things like there's a company called Shared Interest that actually offers bonds that go to help give people loans to start businesses in, sma- in South Africa. That you get the return just like you get on a savings bond we go through things in this chapter there's all sorts of ways to give back a portion of the proceeds of this book go to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Paralysis Foundation Chris was a personal friend and was actually going to write the foreword to the book and I wanted to just uh, put my money where my mouth was so to speak and do that as a testament to my admiration and friendship with him
0: terrific well, thanks very much, Stacey. It's really been fascinating. Again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour has been Stacey Tisdale, a reporter at CBS News, whose new book is called The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. You can find out more about it at her website, truecostofhappiness.com. Thanks again, Stacey.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: And we'll be back again next week.